Praise the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 is where we're going to be today in the series. I hope you've been putting into practice what we were talking about last week for the half of you that were here that heard it. Um, rejoice in the Lord always, whatever and always rejoice. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I went up for the, the final game of the Warriors home season. It was great. Uh, went with some friends. Um, one of those friends, Georgia, we went out for dinner after the game. By the time we got to go out for dinner, it was about 10 o'clock at night. So, you know, I'll admit already I'm old and that's too late to be eating dinner for me. But we were, we were having dinner and uh, I'd let my wife know I was having dinner with George, just in case, you know, you guys are, uh, don't make a habit of it. Um, but she's like my little sister. So went out for dinner and um, we're, we're in mid-meal, our table's full of food. Um, you know, we're, we're in Ponsonby somewhere and, uh, and then she, she stopped and paused and she was like, do you feel old? I mean, I know the answer's yes, uh, but I was curious to why she would ask the question in that particular moment. And, and I was like, well, what do you mean? And she's like, well, you're the oldest person in here. <laughs> and there's probably several hundred people in this place. And I thought, surely not. So we were in a table in the corner against the wall. So I, I take a moment to look around at everyone else enjoying their food and their drinks. And I realised not only was I the oldest, I would have been the oldest by 10 years. Um, nothing wrong with getting old, is there? I mean, it's happening to you whether you like it or not. So you might as well like it. But it, it, it got me thinking about maturity and about having a faith that goes the distance, having a faith that lasts the seasons of life. And in this passage of Scripture we're going to get to today, Paul has this line and he says, the mature think this way. The mature think this way. So just as we read it, because we don't get to that line to, to near the end, he's talking about a way that the mature think. And it's, maturity isn't a place to arrive, it's a way of being with the Lord. You can learn to be mature in the Lord actually in a young age, but you have to keep that same sort of attitude, that same sort of spirit. So I think there's some more essence in here of how do we have a faith that goes the distance for us. So Philippians chapter 3, verse, well, we'll go back and just get some overlap with last week. We'll go back to verse 10. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised Him from the dead. I want to suffer with Him, sharing in His death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I want to know Christ. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what's ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. That's his way of saying, if you disagree on some point, you're wrong and God will point it out. 
but we must hold on to the progress we have already made. The mature think this way. Paul invites us in in this passage into the mystery of our faith, this now and not yet aspect of our faith. This, I'm in Christ and I have Christ, but I haven't yet fully attained Christ, part of our faith. This kingdom now and kingdom yet to be part of our faith. And in this verse, he's warning us against one of the great enemies of having a faith that goes the distance, and that's complacency. It's apathy. It's, uh, to put it in a Kiwiism, it's a she'll be right. You know, a, a sort of laxness. And he's encouraging us with this word, I press on. I press on three times, he says it. He says, he says it in three, he says, I press on, I strive forward, and I press on. I press on, I press on, and I press on. Since he's using a running metaphor, like running a race, I thought I would think about my school cross-country days. Now, different seasons of being a teenager, and uh, you can probably tell I'm built for running, obviously. Uh, It's a joke, okay? Um, I run about two and a half Ks and my hip starts doing funny things because I'm getting old, you know? Um, but I, I did like running as a, as a teenager. I was a part of the school cross-country team. But then in different seasons of my teenage years, in some seasons I had like friends that were into that and then I had friends that weren't. So when it came to PE class time and it would be pre-cross-country season, every PE class, everyone would remember this if you went to school in New Zealand, PE class would just be going for a run through the cross country. It's like, that. I bet that teacher was just like, this is the easiest. Right, like, go for a run. And we had this course in, our, in my high school in Tawa College in Wellington. We would run around the streets and, and do this thing. And so when the, when the teacher would be like, okay, ready, set, go, there was always the person with a note that said that they weren't gonna run. You know that person. Some of you were that person. Uh, and then there, were, then there were the people that were like, we're gonna, I'm going to get my personal best time today, you know, and they would head off and run. And then there was everybody else in between that thought, how can I drag out this hour with my mates? Is there any friends' houses on the way that we can stop in for food? Uh, you know, these were all of the dynamics. So everybody would run the race, right? But not everybody would run it in the same way. Some ran to win, some ran to complete it. Some ran in, in, a, in a good sense of like pride and achievement. And others did not run to win. They walked to have fun. Or, or they, they weren't interested. And then when it came to the actual race time, it was a compulsory activity in my school. And there were, of course, the percentage of people who had notes that didn't run. And then there were everybody else and there would be the people who wanted to win at the front, wanted to run hard, wanted to maybe get a top 20 or something and they would run. And then there were the people who, they weren't really interested in their placing, but they wanted to run the whole thing. And then there were the walkers. And I think when we think about this in our life of faith, I'm assuming most people here, you've started the race. The firing gun has gone off, ready set, go, you know Jesus, you've given your life to Him, you've been baptised in His name, you've been filled with the Spirit. How are you running the race? 
in what way are you running the race? You might have set off maybe even many years ago in a different way to how you're running in this season. How are you running the race? Are you running, are you pressing on? Are you striving ahead to win the prize for which Christ first won you? Or are you dawdling? Are you getting distracted? Have, has maybe the initial vigour, the initial passion, the initial love for the Lord, the initial intentionality, maybe when you first met Jesus, you just, you couldn't wait to go to church, you opened your Bible every morning, you prayed, you were believing for great things, you like that, that initial passion. Where are you at today in your faith? How are you running the race today? Because we all set out, but it doesn't mean we all run to win. But I think Paul's encouragement is if you want to be mature, maturity is not a place to arrive, but a way of being with the Lord. If you want to be mature, you've got to be someone who presses on, someone who strives ahead, and someone who presses on. There's a, you can hear it in Paul, right? There's a single-mindedness to what he's saying. There's a, we, we talked last week about how he goes, I consider all else worthless. And we talked about, well, maybe sometimes it's just important to think about it not worthless like garbage, but worth less than Christ. It's like Christ is number one and then everything else comes down way, way under that. Everything else is worthless. There's a single-mindedness to the point, the purpose, the energy of his life. And he's pressing on for what? He says a couple of things. He says he's pressing on to possess the perfection for which Christ first possessed him. Family, Christ has grabbed a hold of our lives because he wants to restore our lives. He's grabbed a hold of our souls because he wants to mend our souls. He's grabbed a hold of our lives because He wants to wipe them from sin. He wants to rebirth us in Christ Jesus by the power of His Holy Spirit. And He wants to make us new again like He intended in the first place. Christ has come and through all the miracles of your life and all the places where God's fingerprints of your life, He's wooed you into His love so that He might make you perfect like you were meant to be. You were born into brokenness. And like many of us, we've chosen plenty of brokenness ourselves along the way. But Christ comes to mend us. Christ comes to make us whole. And so Paul says, I press on because I wanna fulfill why God first came into my life. I don't wanna lose sight of why Christ came and got a hold of my heart. He wanted to make me whole. He wanted to save me not just save me for something one day, he wanted to save me in the here and now, restore me, birth me again, make me whole. He says, he presses on to possess that perfection. Are you pressing on for the transformation that Christ first grabbed a hold of you? He says, I'm pressing on to what lies ahead. <laughs> what lies ahead, friends? the hope of eternity. He presses on for what lies ahead. He is no doubt in this moment, in this passage, he's saying to the church, don't take your eyes off eternity. Don't take your eyes off the prize. 
Don't take your eyes off the fact that while this life some days might seem really short and other times might seem really long, Yes, it's filled with blessing and it's also filled with suffering. He's, he's saying, don't take your eyes off the fact that this is only a dot in the big scheme of God. There is eternity lying ahead and I wanna run the race while I'm on this earth in such a way for what lies ahead. And then he says, I press on to reach the end, receive the prize. And what is the prize? It's Christ himself. It's eternity with him. The prize is not some mansion, friends. The prize is not some elevated status of human materialism that we put on heaven. That's not the prize, right? The prize is not the good life as culture and as the media and as all of the marketing tries to sell us the good life. That's not the prize is like that, but with Jesus. The prize is Jesus. The prize is the lover of your soul. The prize is the saviour of your life. The prize is God himself and eternity with him and his work. That is the prize. So he presses on, he strives ahead, he presses on to possess Christ. This is why as a church we... We say our vision is to pursue the way of Jesus and to play our part in his story. There's a, vi there's a reason why the word is pursue. It's because we know that to live a life, a faith that goes the distance, it requires intentionality. It requires single-mindedness. It requires activity to continue to lay a hold of what Christ first laid a hold of you for. We're not just floating around and vibing it here as God's church. That type of faith doesn't get you anywhere. A floating around and vibing it type of faith does not lay a hold of Christ. A floating around and vibing it type of faith does not grab onto and possess that for which Christ first possessed you. A floating around and vibing it type of faith does not survive hard times is does not survive suffering. It does not survive the droughts. It doesn't. This is why Hebrews 12 verse one, it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. God has set before us a race. He set before you a path. He set before you a journey. You didn't get to choose it. God has chosen it. He wants to be the grace in it for you. He says, how do we do, how do we run this race that's set before us? We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Have your eyes been on Jesus this week? He's not just the champion, he's the one who initiates the faith, we know that, but he's the one who perfects our faith. There's something about when you set your eyes on Jesus, don't, don't mishear me, running is hard. I don't like running, I've, I've been running a bit lately, but I don't like running, it's, it's not easy to run. But there's something about running the Christian walk 
It's not just about you mustering up the energy. It's not just about you like sort of like white knuckling it or just just trying, just trying, just trying. Now there's something about when you set your will, there's something about when you set your intention, I'm gonna press on. It's like there's a surge of grace. There's a surge of energy, if you would, from God who wants to perfect that walk, that race. Is this making sense? And so so we set our eyes on Jesus because I don't just have to do it in my own strength. I set my eyes on Jesus because He initiated it. He got this whole thing started. And so I'm gonna lean on Him to perfect it. I press on. I strive ahead. What are they? I set my eyes on Jesus. I lean on Jesus. I go to Jesus. I depend on Jesus. I realise when I'm at my wit's end, I need Jesus because I want to press on and I cannot press on on my own. I need the grace of Jesus. It's like, oh, this, sometimes people are like, man, this doesn't sound like a, a grace message. It's like God's done everything. God has done everything. And he's wanting to do everything. But God's not opposed to effort. He's opposed to earning. We don't do any of this to earn his love. We do it because we are loved. We do it because we want to grab a hold of what his first love has grabbed a hold of us for. So Paul gives us a little hint here. He goes, how do you, how do, you do this? He goes, I focus on one thing. This is how I press on. This is how I stay mature. This is how I press on. He goes, I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. (laughs) What in your past needs to be left in the past? What in your past needs to be left in the past? The, The Scripture doesn't actually tell us exactly what Paul is referring to. So here we go, we're gonna go on a little Joel adventure of what I think some of what, based on the whole writings of Paul, based on the whole writings of Philippians, what I think he's saying to leave in the past. The first thing he's saying to leave in the past is what we used to rely on to give us meaning and purpose in our lives before we met Jesus. When we met Jesus, we left some sins, we left a worldview, We left certain things that made us feel good and like we had a place in the world. For some of you, before you met Jesus, it was a career, it was a standing in the community, it was a sort of life and lifestyle you were involved in and you used that to bring meaning and purpose to your life. Paul says, leave that in the past. Forget about that. For Paul, that was all of his amazing Jewishness that we talked about last week, his self-righteousness. He's leaving that in the past because he's grabbing a hold of Jesus. We've got to leave behind what we used to rely on to give us meaning and purpose in our lives. The second thing we have to leave behind is we have to leave behind our sins. We have to leave behind our sins. And I I know that you know we have to leave behind our sins, but it's not just about leaving behind our sins. It's about leaving behind the the shame and guilt of our sins that we can so easily carry forward with us even though Christ has wiped them clean. You know what I'm talking about, right? The regrets, the things of yesterday and yesteryear, those things where sometimes our mind wanders and we go, oh gosh, I wish I had my time again. Oh, I can't believe I did that. 
I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I was into that. And you know, your heart breaks all over again. And then you can get, if you're not careful, you can sort of spiral and guilt and shame can mount up on you, but it's not from Christ because Christ has forgiven you. And so we forget what was behind. Not, not we don't learn from it, of course. Not we don't need to trust in God's mercy and grace to help us change, of course. But we don't keep reliving the past. We forget what lies behind and we press on to what is ahead. And the third thing, can you imagine for Paul what that was like just, just before we get to the third thing? Paul killed Christians and now he's the champion of the church. I'd imagine every day he had to forget the past very intentionally and press on to what's ahead. I'd imagine it would have been very easy for somebody to get up in a meeting at some point. Paul, weren't you the one who? Oh, I'm forgetting the past. Yeah, you're right, I was. But I forget in the past and I'm pressing on to what's ahead because I know Christ has forgiven me. And the third thing we have to leave behind is we have to leave behind others' sins and mistakes. You don't have to live life very long for a whole pile of grievances to be formed, Right? We just start with your parents, what they did or didn't do for you. You move on to different things that happen amongst friends. And then if you join a church, you get a whole bunch more list of them all. And that doesn't make them okay or it doesn't make them justified. It doesn't, it doesn't, but if you don't learn the ability to forget what's in the past and press on towards what's ahead, you'll struggle to go on with Christ. The past always comes back to drag you back to it. The past always comes back to try and get you to repeat it. And the past always rises up to rob you of where God is at in your life today. And so we forget the past and we strive on to what is ahead. We strain forward. His, his words here are sort of like, you know, when runners, when a, when a, like they're at the race and it's close and there's the, the tape, you know, the, the ribbon and the first person to press through the ribbon is the person who runs. And so in those final steps, they start in a sprint race, you're sort of running upright, but then at those final steps, they try to get their, their chest forward, their something forward. You know, this is the straining ahead. Paul's like, I press on. I, I, don't just, I don't just lax my way through this thing. I press on to grab a hold of that which Christ first grabbed a hold of me. <laughs> Reaching, pressing, stretching. You can't live off yesterday's prayers. You can't live off yesterday's sacrifice. You can't live off yesterday's generosity for very long. It will wane. Some of us, we had seasons in our lives where we were so intentional at pressing in to what God was doing, but somehow we've gone from there to floating. We've reached a plateau. We're no longer climbing with the Lord. We're cruising with the Lord. And we're living off what happened yesterday. We're living off the surrender of yesterday, the prayers of yesterday, the Bible readings of yesterday, the sermons of yesterday. We're reading off the, the sacrifice, the like we're, we're living from yesterday's manna, 
But that won't get you very far. You have to keep pressing on. The mature think this way. There's a goal, there's a prize. And here's the thing, it's upward, not downward. It's heavenward, he would go on to say in this passage. It's heavenward. There's a proverb, it says, the way of the foolish leads downward to destruction, but the way of God leads up to life. I know we want the way down to lead to life, but it doesn't work that way. The path of least resistance is the pathway to destruction. The path to the prize is the upward call of God. And because it's an upward call of God, there's resistance and it requires intentionality. And without that constant intentionality, you'll, we'll change the metaphor. We live in a river. The world is a river. It's got a current and God's calling us to swim upstream. And the moment you stop swimming, you start losing ground. And in some seasons, you gotta swim your heart out just to not give up any ground. And in other seasons, you swim your heart out and you make ground. But you gotta keep swimming because if you stop swimming, you stop pressing on and you stop laying a hold of. Sunday school won't get you through your teenage years. Youth group won't get you through university. University won't get you to whatever comes next. Your single person's faith won't get you through marriage if you get married. And your married faith won't get you through children if you have children. The same faith you had when you were married won't get you through your divorce. This is the truth of these things. The faith that you had when you're 30 won't get you through the cancer diagnosis. It just won't. You gotta press on. You gotta strive ahead. You gotta press on. The mature think this way. They keep digging, they keep pressing, they keep reading, they keep praying, they keep serving, they keep sacrificing, they keep forgiving. They forget what's behind. And here's the thing, the longer you live, the more you gotta forget. And they press on. When I was preparing this, message, I felt like I was, I was sitting at my dining room table, the worship team can come, sit at my dining room table and I just felt like the Spirit say, He wants to give some people today a second wind, a second wind. Broke down crying at my dinner table, I was trying to Google what the heck a second wind is. I think I know, Lord. A second wind is a person's ability to breathe freely during exercise. Having been out of breath previously, they now have a new resurgence of vitality. A second wind is a new strength, a new energy to continue with something that's an effort. A second wind is a phenomenon in endurance sports such as marathons or road running, as well as other sports where an athlete who is out of breath and is too tired to continue, we call this hitting the wall, finds the strength to press on 
at a top performance level, but with less exertion. Do you know it, when you, when you, I've never run hard long enough to probably hit the wall, you know? I don't know if my 2Ks count, you know? But when you set out, your body is uh, consuming glycose, I think is, is what's, what's happening out, going on. It's like, it's more of the easy to access energy in your body. And when you start an exercise, like your body can access that within about 30 seconds. So you can just do it in your own effort, right? You just like, you get going. If you need to run from somebody, you can just start running. Your body's gonna have enough energy. But as you start, eventually that energy source that you could access so quickly and so easily, it runs out, that's called hitting the wall. Another thing happening when you're getting close to hitting the wall is you breathing so heavily, your body is using your breathing as the main coolant system for your body, trying to drop the temperature, lower the heart rate. And so you breathe and you breathe and you breathe and you hit the wall and you're thinking, I've got no energy left. I've got no breath left. I think my heart's gonna explode. I'm gonna vomit, this is hitting the wall. I got nothing left. And you have to stay at that hitting the wall a little bit because it takes about 10 minutes from your energy source that you got in your own strength to run out before your body can start processing the fatty acids in your body. That's why you hit the wall because there's a delayed response before your body can access the hard to get energy. I'm thinking I'm saying it right because one of the doctors in the church was nodding, okay? And then what else happens is all your veins start to expand and all of your like, ability to sweat, all of that starts opening up. And so your body accesses a new coolant system, which is your ability to sweat and blood to be able to flow. And so your breathing, even though you're still going, is now at a more relaxed nature. Is this making sense? The Lord wants to give you a second wind. He's got an energy source. He's got a coolant system. He's got a grace for you in this season of your life. And He wants to give it to you today. If you're willing and able, should we stand to our feet? A second wind. I know you've hit the wall, but Paul would go on, I'm skipping a few verses here. He goes, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You don't have to run this race with endurance in your own strength, you can do it in Christ's strength. You don't have to press on in your own strength, you can do it in Christ's strength. You don't have to strive forward in your own strength, you can do it in Christ's strength. And so for everybody here who feels like they need a second win from the Lord, I believe the Lord wants to give you that second win just as we worship together. Cry out for the second win. Pray for the second wind. Get on your knees for the second wind. Come to the front for the second wind. Go to the back for the second wind. Do whatever you need to do in faith to reach out for the second wind from God. Oh, Father in heaven, hallowed be Thy name. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us Your second wind today, Lord. By the power of Your Spirit, pour out your second wind on your sons and your daughters today that we might press on and grab a hold of that which you first grabbed a hold of us for.